Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, a cricket podcast that does not condone throwing your bat and helmet at a hotel chandelier in a misplaced fit of rage over a supposed lack of payment. I'm your host, Benny, and thank you for tuning in. So if you haven't heard yet, we have been nominated for the Sports Podcast Awards in the Best Cricket Podcast category. So if you enjoy this podcast, please do visit sportspodcastawards.com, register and vote for us. Now, this week, we are going to be doing something different. Actually, it's more like something we haven't really done since the inception of this podcast. Uh, We do not have any special guests this week. Instead, it is just going to be me and my co-host, Mike. So it feels like a lifetime ago that the Indian under-19 team won the World Cup. And so even as the cricket calendar marches on, we wanted to take some time and break down the recently concluded World Cup. And of course, discuss who are the players to watch out for in the future. Now, before we get to that, uh, we do have a couple of important matters to discuss uh, between um, myself and Mike. uh, Because earlier today, there was some big news in Indian cricket or Indian men's cricket specifically, uh, at least with regards to test cricket, because we finally got the answer to who is replacing uh, Virat Kohli as test captain. And the answer in the short term, at least, is Rohit Sharma, who now is captain of the Indian team in all formats. Um, and the vice captain, at least for the Sri Lankan series, is just Preet Bumrah. Uh, so let's let, let's talk about that very quickly. So, Mayank, I, am, I actually don't have any problems with Rohit Sharma being appointed as captain. I know there was a lot of conjecture about who you know, they were going to go with. Was it going to be KL Rahul, Rishabh Pant, or Rohit Sharma? Uh, but I, I, I get the sense that it was it is it has been made clear that Roy Sharma is really a short term pick. That while they groom younger players for the captaincy role, they want Rohit, with all his experience, to be uh, the test captain. Uh, and it makes sense because I think uh, apart from Virat Kohli, he's probably like the one certainty um, in the Indian batting order right now. So it makes sense. And he also is a player who has some good form going for him in test cricket. So I don't have any issues with it. I think it was a good pick because I don't really see any other players standing out just yet because everyone else is still finding their feet in test cricket uh, or still you know, making some progress towards establishing themselves as permanent picks in the 11. Uh, so I think uh, no issues with Rohit as captain. So Jaspreet Bumrah as vice captain. Now this one... Unless they're doing this just for, like, you know, doing this on a series by series basis, I don't really know long term um, about Jaspreet Bumrah as captain. Um, I know there's a lot of excitement about having, like, potentially having, like, a fast bowler, the twin Indian fast bowler as captain. And Bumrah does seem to have a good head on his shoulders. He seems to be a, you know, a thinking cricketer, and he does, you know, he he, he does have the potential to be a good captain. I don't know. I'm not convinced yet. Um, and again, this uh, keeping in mind that this potentially is just a series by series appointment, even in the long run. I mean, Bumrah has injury worries of his own, uh, keeping aside Rohit Sharma's issues. Um, and, you know, India has been very careful about managing his workload. So I, I don't really know how feasible it is to have Bumrah as a viable uh, test captain in the future. Um but that's my thoughts. I don't know. Maybe I'll be proved wrong down the road. But for now, I'm not totally convinced that Jasprit Bumrah is captaincy material. I guess I am. I, have, I hate the stereotype word that you know bowlers can be captains. So in, in that aspect, I'm very excited to see him <laughs> being considered. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, there's Pat Cummins who's leading Australia. Tim Southey's led New Zealand in T20s. So there's a number of different captains around the world who are fast bowlers, which is, uh, in my mind, a welcome thing. Um, I, I do agree with the doubt around it because I don't particularly see Bumrah playing every single home test. And that is where I think the challenge will come. Who Who's the vice captain, especially if, you know, as you mentioned, Rohit is injured or, um, or something like that, or maybe even he's rested, you know, considering he's captain in all formats, then who do we go to next? It's probably going to be Rishabh Pant. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's an interesting uh, appointment. Again, not really sure if it's long term, so hard to comment too much on it. But um, 
yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to a fast bowler captain. That that should be fun. <laughs> Listen, don't get me wrong. I I would love fast bowling fast bowler captain um, for India because one of my favorite captains historically has been Wasim Akram. He may not have the best captaincy record if you like look <laughs> if you look deep and look at his numbers, uh, but for me it was the leadership that he inspired. Right, like. Um, Wasim Akram, legendary cricketer, players looked up to him and he commanded, uh, I mean, keeping aside, you know, the rifts and everything of the the Pakistani team of those years, even with all of that, uh, you know, Akram was so respected and he was also a very intelligent cricketer who inspired his team and was able to make good decisions uh, on the field. So in that respect, I don't, you know, I, I don't mind a fast bowler captain. I just don't know if it's Bumrah though. Um, like I said, you know, so Bumrah is a very unique cricketer, right? Like he's not, he doesn't have a very conventional action. His body is just all kinds of stress, uh, undergoes all kinds of stress the more he bowls. And we've all already seen, you know, after one injury break, like he wasn't necessarily the same bowler that he was. And I just don't know. Like as a test captain, how often can you rest him? How often can you manage his workload? For batters, I think it's a little bit easier. You know, if they can continue playing every series. But for a fast bowler, and especially, you know, Indian pitches are not always the greatest for fast bowlers, yeah, even though things have changed recently. So someone like Boomer, like you still want to continue to manage his workload, rest him now and then. And as a full-time test captain, I don't really know if that is going to be viable. We'll see. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's too early to say, but yeah, we'll see. Well, let's let's move on to, I'm sure everyone has their thoughts on this particular issue, and I know that you have as well. So let's talk about Saha. Uh, where do we start? Uh, so there were two things that happened with Iman Saha today. One was, obviously, he was not picked for um, the test squad for, for against Sri Lanka which is, in all fairness, a very reasonable decision. He's been number two wicketkeeper for a while, not getting a lot of chances. At the same time, we've seen uh, KS Bharat show really good um, you know, glove work behind the stumps as a substitute, and he's done great domestically with the bat. So um, with his age being you know, close to 37, it, it just makes sense for the team to move on. And so there was he gave, a, gave an interview where he talked about how um, when he scored a recent 50 against New Zealand, Ganguly texted him saying, don't worry about your spot or, or something to that to that uh, nature. And um, to basically told him, you know, you're, you're good as long as I'm here. And obviously that is not uh, right because the chairman, uh, the he's not a chairman of selectors. He's not the coach. He's, he's really a board president. So he's supposed to be managing the day-to-day works of the board, not selection matters. And that's despite us knowing almost definitely that he's been part of selection meetings when he shouldn't have been. So there's already, um, you know, some weird things about Ganguly and what he does with BCCI. Um, and I know we've been critical already and I've never really had high hopes for them. But that putting that aside, the other, other thing that a lot of people reacted to was Dravid telling him that he should consider, Saha should consider retirement. In, in my mind, that's exactly the conversation that a coach or a chairman of selectors is appointed to have. A coach isn't just there to, you know, say, oh, good luck, play well, and, and then get them into the right mindset. They are there to have those difficult conversations. And, and same with the chairman of selectors. So if they had those conversations with um, Saha, and it, it appears that they've had a similar conversation with Ashant, although we don't have a confirmation from Ashant yet, um, I think that's spot on. Like whether that works out, whether they, you know, whether it backfires and we have to bring back Ishant and Rahane and Pujara and Saha, that we'll see. But from a decision standpoint, there's nothing wrong with that decision. Um, and and a lot of people have also said, oh yeah, Saha is such a crybaby for saying all that and you know coming out and disclosing all this. And I, I think that's bullshit as well. At the end of the day, this is his career, and if it impacted your most important position in your life, you would be emotional about it. So um, really the only person to blame apart from uh, Ganguly is the other journalist who seemed to have threatened <laughs> Saha that you know he doesn't take rejection nicely. And uh, I know he's among your favorites. So curious what do you think? 
Well, first of all, I'm going to sidestep the whole gongly thing because there's not enough time uh, in the day to share my thoughts on uh, Gongoli's tenure so far as BCCI chief. Uh, the the dropout part, I agree with you. I agree. Um, and again, we have to be careful here because what Saha said may not have been communicated well. It could have also been lost in translation. Uh, but if the gist is right, um, Dravid essentially was honest with them. And you know what? As players, I think your coaches, you want your coaches to be honest with you, right? And I feel like Dravid have told him, like, listen, this is the direction that we want to go. Uh, Rishabh Pant has done well and he's young. He's got a lot of potential. And he's the kind of player who can transform the game in a matter of an hour or two. And we saw that in South Africa where he gave India a chance. So... I, I don't disagree with Dravid's approach to telling Saha straight up, like, um, this is the way we're going to go. I don't know if Dravid would have told him, like, you should consider retirement. Um, I don't know if that was more of a informal or friendly thing. I'm still, like, kind of, like, whose place is it to tell someone to consider retirement? I think that ultimately the player, like, maybe the player wants to keep playing and that's his passion and he wants to try to fight his way back. Um so that I'm not really clear uh, as far as whose place is it to tell someone to consider retirement or not. But I think it it is definitely Dravid's place to communicate to him, well, we're not considering you for the near future at least uh, because we want to go a different direction. So I have no issues with Dravid. But let's get to what really has got me flustered in this whole thing, which is, of course, the journalist uh, versus Saha uh, issue that kind of blew up social media. Listen, there's only one journalist, let's be honest, who who can get away with this kind of thing. There's There are not many journalists, at least in Indian cricket, uh, who can say the kind of things that was said to Saha over Chad. And have hit. access to Indian cricketers. Right. I mean, like, what kind of... Imagine to have that kind of confidence slash arrogance to say, I'm never going to interview again and I will not forget this insult. What is this, like some bad Bollywood movie, <laughs> you, know, you are not entitled to, uh, you know, any interviews just because you want to talk to a cricketer. Uh, and as podcast hosts ourselves, we are also conscious of that. We don't, you know, we, we invite people to come on and sometimes it doesn't work out. That doesn't mean we're like, oh, I'm never going to like consider this person again. It's fine. Everybody has their views and maybe at that point they don't want to do it. And in this case, Saha has just, you know, it's just been well publicized at this point that, okay, Saha's career is pretty much over and he is not happy with it very clearly. He still feels like he can do more. And at this point, a journalist who is well known for inducing controversies and creating issues out of nothing, he wants to talk to him. And Saha, being the smart person he is, was like, I'm not doing this right now. And so that response was just insane and it is infuriating as a lot of people pointed out in social media so i i personally think that the relationship between journalists and indian cricketers is really terrible at this point you know when i look at like and i'm very specific to cricket right so cricket journalist and cricketers relationship in countries like let's say australia england uh new zealand it seems to be professional they know how to do it they know how to maintain their boundaries while getting good insights from players players open up to them they feel comfortable with them and journalists also respect that in india i don't know why it's this terrain at least now and again let's be clear that there are good journalists out there so i'm not brandishing all journalists in india all cricket journalists in india with the same brush but there does seem to be this thing where if you have the right connections you can just act like, you know, you're entitled to things. And in the case of this, again, very open secret or the worst secret who this journalist is, he's been able to speak with high-profile cricketers and people involved in the cricket administration. And now suddenly he thinks like he is the boss. And, you know, so I, I, I really think that we are at a critical moment and it has been this way. Ms. Dhoni was very smart early on in his career to realize he has to set some really hard boundaries, which is why we don't really have many interviews of Ms. Dhoni outside of press conferences and post-match interviews. Like he was very smart about it. And, you know, just the way that cricketers are being treated these days, um, 
it makes sense why they don't trust journalists, which is why they don't trust people to have a good, frank conversation with them rather than go for clickbait journalism. So I think cricket journalism in India is at its lowest ebb in terms of at least its relationship to players. And I don't really know what is going to happen next if people are just going to like, cricketers are just going to completely shut shut off because this is the level that they have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a cultural thing. Having said that, I will say you mentioned Australia and England is way better. I feel like they also have their tabloid. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But but I think you're right. I think the mainstream journalists for sure are a lot more respectful and there's you know a sense of professionalism, uh, at least from what we've noticed. Um, the only disappointing fact from this is the fact that Sahar didn't share his name. That would have been just the icing on the cake. <laughs> Listen, there have been some very smart people on social media who have done the investigative <laughs> work for us. So if you yeah. guys are really, really curious and you really don't know who we are talking about, just go on social media. You'll find the answer within 10 seconds. Um, I don't think Saha needed to out. He, he did cause some confusion by saying respected journalist, but guys, he also put it in air quotes. So <laughs> it's not literally respected journalist. <laughs> oh, well, somehow the Indian cricket circus rolls on. Anyway, let's get into our conversation on the Under-19 World Cup right after this brief message. Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Weekend Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. There is just so much cricket to follow these days, um, you know, apart from the men, the senior men who are playing, there's women's cricket, um, there is under 19 tournaments, and then there is uh, franchise tournaments and the multiple, you know, various franchise tournaments, uh, franchise T20 tournaments that are going on simultaneously, and it is so hard to... Uh, to focus on anything. So for me, as someone who's been following the game for so many years, it's just easier to just focus on the men's senior team. Uh, but the fact is that there's a lot of good quality cricket going on. And uh, as much as it is uh, easy to overlook some of, the, uh, some of the other tournaments or other series that kind of pass by, uh, I think it's important to just take a minute to talk about the recently concluded Under-19 World Cup. Uh, which India won again. And I'm glad that India is winning at least one World Cup <laughs> in some other field. Uh, but it's interesting. So Andrew Miller, the English writer for ESPN Crick Info, he started his article on um, Rehan Ahmed and the English boys, it would, essentially saying, quote unquote, the kids are all right, you know. Um, and now with the Under-19 World Cup coming to an end, I think we can all agree that not just England, but, you know, obviously India, uh, Australia, and even Afghanistan, which I'm really pleasantly surprised by. Um, it just, to me, it indicates that the future is bright as far as the next crop of cricketers uh, coming in uh, is concerned. So Mayank, as someone who's followed uh, the tournament uh, closer than most people that I know, uh, what are your thoughts on that? 
No, I think I think Andrew's right because um, it definitely seems like the quality of talent keeps improving. Um, in in general, one of the issues with this World Cup was the fact that because of COVID, most teams had played very little under nineteen cricket, um, if at all any, and even when they got there, there were cases of COVID throughout, right? So India had five people ruled out for a couple of games. Um, I know a couple of uh, games towards the end, I think the 13th place or 14th place playoff was called off. Zimbabwe had cases. So it it wasn't an easy World Cup in the first place, considering everything. And yet we saw very good talents from every department. You talk about batting, you talk about um, bowling, you talk about wrist spinners. So just a very good wide variety of talent. And so it's really heartening to see. And obviously, you know, we've seen over the years how not everyone translates into senior level cricket, but nonetheless, even being as good as they are at this age is, is still a spectacular uh, achievement. And it was, it was just really fun to watch. So let, let's, let's go a little bit deeper into the teams themselves. Um, kind of brought up Afghanistan. Um, they, from the little that I saw myself, especially towards the final stages of the tournament, uh, they did really have a couple of close games in there. What is your take on the Afghanistan team? I'm, I'm just surprised that for a team that's essentially, you know, we're still talking about two or three major players within the senior team. Um, and it's, at least for me, it's easier to overlook the next generation of Afghanistan cricketers coming in. Um, so it was very refreshing to see, um, you know, them getting to the semifinals and they seem to have some, you know, some really good players in that mix. So what, what is your take on Afghanistan's performance? Uh, no, I think it was a really good performance overall. What's, what's interesting is I felt like each of the teams performed exactly how you would uh, based on their senior team in the sense that Afghanistan, traditionally the senior team, is known to have really good bowlers with obviously Rashid Khan leading the pack, but there are a couple of other wrist spinners. Um, their pacer is decent, not not you know world-class, but with that, they that's their key core. And then they'll usually have like one really good batsman, whether it's Muhammad Nabi or you know somebody else who's in form. And they try to rally around that lighter batting attack. And, uh, and that's exactly what I felt with the under-19 team as well. So they had three really good spinners. They had two pretty good pacers. Uh, Bilal Sami was one of the quicks that they had who was touching 140 consistently, which is, you know, superb at that age group. And and on top of that, he was he had a very accurate bouncer and a good yorker. So clearly like a bowler who could bowl at the depth, even though he did go for runs in some games, um, clearly has the raw material to keep working on it. And... Yeah, wrist spinners. Uh, I don't know how Afghanistan is producing so many wrist spinners, uh, but they really are. I was wondering the same thing because, you know, they have Rashid Khan, they have Mujibur Rahman. Um, it's one other player whose name I'm missing. He's, he's playing in the Big Bash League right now. Kai Samad. Uh, right, right, right. So he played in the recently concluded BBL. So they have a good crop of uh, spinners. So I'm really curious about how that is happening. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because uh, there's not necessarily a lot of formal cricket in in Afghanistan, you know, like we see in say Australia or or England, where there's you know from an under fourteen, under twelve age group, there's a lot of cricket and coaching and and school schools related to cricket development and and so on. So it's it's very interesting. It seems to be all inspired on you know some of the stars that they've seen perform around the world and do well, and. You had Noor Ahmed in this World Cup who honestly had a very similar action to Rashid Khan, even though he, was left, he is left-handed, but had a very quick action, you know, whippy action, had, had the wrong one and all that kind of stuff. So it seemed very much based on Rashid Khan. And on top of that, he could swing his bat and score some runs. Uh, so, yeah. so it definitely seems like somebody he's modeled the game after. Um, so it's, it's interesting uh, that, you know, a lot of these cricketers are coming through, uh, just looking at stars that inspire them and learning on their own. And, and to be honest, that's true for even cricketers from other countries like England, for example, had Fateh Singh, who's also a spinner and, and he didn't play all the games because, uh, Rehan Ahmad was preferred, but he was himself, um, uh, mentioning how he didn't, uh, get, 
uh, a lot of coaching and and actually sorry my bad rehan ahmed was the one who's mentioning he didn't get a lot of coaching growing up he used to just watch youtube and talk to his dad about the game and that's how he came up and you know became a spinner and he was at at 14 he was bowling to ben stokes and joe root in the nets and getting them to edge occasionally so uh, i think that's where it's interesting how you know the fact that television and and youtube and all these mediums have spread the game shows that you don't necessarily now need um you know proper academies to create um excitement amongst youngsters i think we still need proper academies for them to have a long career keep developing their game and fitness levels and all that but at least to spark that interest at a young age um all of this coverage is definitely significant and very impressive too for for the for this crop of younger players because um in a lot of cases there there was little to no domestic cricket happening um like australia for example hadn't played a single under 19 one day game since the previous world cup um and you know we've talked about this previously too where india hasn't had a lot of domestic cricket happen themselves i know they had like an asia cup uh prior to this but uh, how much how impressive is it the the fact that these players could turn up with uh little to no cricket in uh this pandemic era that we're living in and perform the way they did Oh it's absolutely phenomenal because most teams it it seemed like had only really worked on their under 19 teams for the last 6 months or so um that's when india played most of their under 19 games uh, I, i think other teams played internal tor- tournaments if not other under 19 teams so uh, it, the fact that they could come around and and perform like this and and even the ones who got impacted by covid during the tournament they came back after a week long break tested negative and you know didn't seem to it didn't seem to affect them at all like yashdul um and 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 company like they these guys were out for a week but they were when they got back they were playing top level cricket and it's just really heartening to see so it's um i think there's clear, clear that there's a lot of good talent and i think if managed well uh, you know a good number of them should be among the stars of uh, 2030 yeah well let's get into the um the players um themselves or the way the players are selected for these tournaments so bangladesh and pakistan their captains that is uh, rakibul hasan and kasim akram respectively they're playing their second under 19 world cup and uh, in fact rakibul hit the winning runs in the final last time so India on the other hand they actually have a rule that the players cannot play more than one under 19 world cup even though someone like Ravindra Jadeja has done that in the past so i'm curious as to the reasoning for this you know like wh- how some teams decide you know they want to play they want players to get more exposure at like this level and they don't mind selecting them for multiple under 19 world cups and other teams don't um So I guess the question is whether it's giving more exposure to a talented star is that reasonable than giving chances to other players. Right, I I think it obviously there's not a you know easy answer to say yes or no either way, but I feel like India's policy makes sense in terms of number of talented players that are coming through at age group level. So Rian Parag for example played the under 19 World Cup at 16, so he could have easily played this one. Um and sorry not this one the one after that um so what that shows is like yeah there's potential for people to do that and i know jareja has done it i believe even piyush chawla did it at one point so there's definitely been uh players who've done it in the past but what they've realized is once they've played and had that exposure it probably makes more sense to to have these players get uh exposed to domestic cricket whether that's ranji trophy vijay hazare and I think that's where the level of the competition is definitely better. So from India's perspective I think it's a sensible decision. Um I don't know if we can say that for you know I I don't know if we can say if Bangladesh should do the same because I don't know the depth of Bangladesh's talent. So that's why it, it kind of makes sense that okay if they have limited talent then maybe they continue sticking with you know a player that played in the previous World Cup. Um 
for in Kasim Akram's case, I don't think it was a great decision in my mind. Yeah, he, he performed really well and he was clearly, you know, a cut above the average under-19 player. But the fact is he's played about 15 first-class games in which he's done really well, um, you know, both with the bat and done decently with the ball. Uh, so I don't think it was a surprise that he would do well at the under-19 level. So at that, you know, when a player is in that situation, it almost makes me wonder, are you really helping the team cause or are you really helping the player or are you just wasting right. his time and or wasting the chance that could have been given to another younger player? Even if, you know, they didn't play all the games, maybe they could have just been nurtured around and been around important coaches and, and good young talent. So... I think it's a fine balance and some sometimes these calls have to be made individually rather than, you know, a country level like where where country like India would say, we're just not going to let it happen. Um, but in general, if players have started playing domestic cricket, I, I don't see the point of going back to under-19s because the quality is definitely, in, in most countries, the quality is just definitely better in, uh, in domestic cricket. I mean, ultimately, like you said, it goes back to the question what is the point of under-19 World Cup? Or what is the purpose of the under-19 World Cup? Is that more to just drive your own ego, so to speak? Like, you know, like the case of Akram you mentioned, like it sounds like he's a player who did not need it because he's already performed uh, or he's he's featured in a previous World Cup. So he's got this exposure of playing with international peers. And then he's gone into domestic cricket and he's starting to get set in there. And then if you bring him back in, like, what is a purpose? Because um, I get it, like, to an extent that a World Cup is a World Cup, right? Whether it's a senior one or a women's World Cup or under 19, um, you're competing with other countries and it's it's a source of pride. Um, but it just seems like misplaced priorities, like you said. And my opinion, look, take it as a one-time thing, right? For the players themselves, like you said, it's a very good point that it does not serve the player well either i don't think the player is going to learn anything new because if he's doing well in domestic cricket and he's competing and playing alongside players uh, who are more experienced than him it's essentially a step down when he's again featuring in an under 19 world cup so yeah i i it's something that is uh it's one of those quirks right like cricket from time to time throws squirks not just in the way the game is played but in the way the game is administered as well. So it is interesting. Um, and and but... I guess one caveat to that is um, one could make the exception that, okay, this player has done well in domestic cricket. We want to see how he will do in the Caribbean because that's where the World Cup was. So right. I, I understand those caveats, but at the end of the day, not all of these matches happen in the same grounds that senior cricketers play. So if, if the idea is to give them local practice, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's still valuable for them to be in the Caribbean. But for them to be captain or prioritized as key talents in a second World Cup, um, I'm not I'm not sure that's the best idea. Maybe you could travel with them and, and have them in the team. But, you know, mention that, okay, since you've already played, we're going to try and give more chances to some of the younger or lesser experienced players. Um because you know, if if, in, if for example, in the new, in the World Cup held in New Zealand, most of the games were not at the three four key venues where you know foreign teams usually senior teams usually play at. So it's not right. even going to give them exposure of that same ground. Yeah, I mean, I would think that teams um, would use this this kind of tournament, like an under nineteen World Cup, uh, more as a platform to identify key players who could become a core part of the senior team either immediately or down the road. Um, now, some teams like Bangladesh, maybe even Afghanistan, um, so they have demonstrated, you know, they have the talent at the under-19 level. I think Bangladesh, they have won the under-19 World Cup last time. Um, and then you have Afghanistan, who were really impressive in this edition. Uh, but w I'm just thinking about the issue where they don't seem to quite con convert into top players at the top level at the senior most level so why do some teams have this struggle yeah it's that's an interesting one and i feel like it'll always depend on each of the individual teams so i don't think it's a blanket answer across but for bangladesh i think that's a very interesting um situation because I, basically what they've done in their domestic cricket is 
they seem to prefer one certain type of pitch, uh, which is a slower turning one. And that's what they try to host even, you know, international teams too. That's why we saw Australia go there, the senior team, and really just struggle because it was really low scoring uh, T20s in one days. And while that might help them win games, you know, at a decent pace at home, it doesn't necessarily give their players exposure to very good pitches, which, you know, will that, that experience will help them in New Zealand or in you know England or, or some other place, uh, West Indies, for example. So I think that's definitely an issue uh, with Bangladesh cricket in particular. And I think um, that is why the bridge between under-19 and, and senior cricket is so vast in, in that country's case. Uh, if you look at even what India has done, India in the recent times has done really well, but one of the push was to create, you know, five, seven years ago, was to create seam-friendly pitches in, in Ranji Trophy. And mm-hmm. that is why we have really good bowlers, because now they understand they don't need to bowl their heart out and we're not burning bowlers every, you know, every three years. We have bowlers who know what to do on, on which kind of wicket and, um just wait until the batsman makes a mis- mis- uh, mistake. So I don't think that level of understanding is there in Bangladesh cricket. And on top of that, it doesn't help that, you know, their weather is a certain way. And then there's really only one big city which hosts majority of the cricketers. So um, there's some politics around that as well. Um, I don't think the answer for other teams is as straightforward. So I think Afghanistan, obviously, you know, we talked about the lack of structure or, how people pick up cricket in that country, all of that is a little more complicated. So there's probably more, you know, more to it than we understand for uh, for Afghanistan. Uh, but there certainly seems to be things which other teams can learn, such as Bangladesh, about uh, maintaining pitches which are top quality and just ensuring that these under 19 players get exposure at at an early stage because it's way easier for a technical problem to creep in and, and then be unresolved until 25, then for them to work at it at 18, 19 and figure it out by, you know, 21, 22, and, and then really have a solid peak. You know, um, for a team like Bangladesh, one thing that I've noticed, at least with the senior team, is they don't really have too many big hitters, right? Which has been one of their main hurdles as far as competing in T20s. Um was there any player within the Bangladesh team that you think can at least be groomed to be a big hitter for them? Um, honestly, I did not get to see a lot of Bangladesh games uh, this World Cup, so it's hard for me to comment that way. But um, it, it definitely seemed like a couple of the you know more senior players, including the captain, are are definitely well tuned into what their role is and how to play that. So. Um, I don't think Rakibul Hassan was particularly a big hitter, but I, I'm just saying, you know, he seemed to understand his role and was very accurate in his left arm spin. So uh, I think there's probably some talent there. I don't know if they've been, you know, asked to learn how to play that cricket. The other issue with playing big shots and, and all of that, and, and you're right, that has been a problem with Bangladesh, but the other problem is under-19 cricketers aren't necessarily the strongest They've not trained right. as hard as some of the professionals have who've been around on the circuit for five, seven, ten years. So I think from uh, just hitting capability, they're just not at the same level. So it's it's a little bit harder to judge because they're not playing at the same quality as you know domestic cricketers, and at the same time they're also just early in their stage of development as as uh, physically fit cricketers. So um, it's probably hard to say at this point. Now speaking of big hitters. Um, let's talk about India, because they did have some players who could really talk the ball. Uh, but but let's take uh, the Indian under-19, uh, the story of the Indian un- under-19 World Cup campaigns, right? Four consecutive finals, and they won two of those. And I think the question, should uh, Indian fans be excited for the future? I think the answer is an overwhelming yes. Uh, I'm just very... I'm just fascinated by how there's this discord between the senior team, which um, they make it all the way to like the knockout stages or close to it, and then they cannot seal the deal. Um, 
Whereas on the other hand, the Indian under-19 team just walls into the World Cup final, it seems like. Um, And they just play with this refreshing sense of confidence. And it doesn't look like arrogance, at least from the outside. They play with uh, this confidence and just very, very self-assured. And obviously very different levels, under-19 and senior. But uh, I was just like thinking, man, they need to pass some of those vibes to the senior team. But... What are some of the things that excited you about uh, this current crop of uh, Indian players? Um, I think how well-rounded they were was, uh, you know, very surprising because we are used to seeing top-quality batters come through from uh, from India all the time. So seeing, you know, good quality openers with runs in in uh, the uh, tournament before, uh, as well as a solid middle order, that was not surprising. But we saw so many good, um, you know, all-rounders, I think. Uh, Rajvardhan Hungarkar, is, I, I don't know how, how to pronounce it. Hungargekar. Hungargekar, yeah. and, and he, he, he was very impressive. Um, and then even others, you know, Vicky Otswal was a very good spinner, but in, in some matches he, uh, before the World Cup, he came out to bat and then scored a few runs. So it, it showed that there's, you know, talent which the senior team is looking for, which is, a bowler who can bat a little bit or a batter who can bowl a little bit. So there is that talent, at least at the under-19 level. Um, and yeah, they were just clinical in, in so many ways. It, it didn't seem like, you know, there were any boxes that they couldn't check. They had a good seamer. They had a good bowler who could hit the deck. Um, and, you know, they had spin options. They, they, they had good batting options. So really, they just checked all the boxes and... Uh, it really goes to show that even though we have not had domestic cricket and, you know, let's say compared to the class of 2018, which was, you know, Prithvi Shaw winning the World Cup um, as captain with, with uh, Gill and, and the likes, um, in that World Cup, there were, I believe, four uh, players who had either been selected or had played for their state team before the under 19 World Cup. And that included Shuman Gill um, and, and Shaw, who had both played a number of games. Uh, for uh, for Punjab and and Mumbai, so it it really shows that there's a you know decent amount of talent even if they didn't get a chance to perform for their state side, these players have been around for a while and and many of them have been groomed from a young age and and that just you know goes to show that uh, India is doing something right in terms of identification of talent, um, and and this is not the first time we're hearing this you know back in the day when um, the TRWD was was started, which is the Talent uh, Research Development Wing. Uh, that was a program to send out scouts to various parts of India and figure out where we have talented kids and, and try to groom them. And the likes of Jadeja, likes of um, MS Dhoni himself, Suresh Raina, all came out of that. Uh, so while that particular program is no longer there, what's interesting is a lot of these state associations with you know, more money and, and more understanding of how to do this have been able to replicate that at a local level, at a state level. And that is enabling kids to come from far places and, and in some cases, kids without means to be able to support themselves through to this level of cricket. So I think that that's where India is doing exceptionally well. Um, again, we've have to, we have a long way to see how well these kids do on the senior level. And I don't think we'll see more than maybe 40% of them ever make it to the senior level, but that's that's fine. It's still a fantastic achievement to do what they've done so far. Yeah, I think you're right with, you know, saying identification is really the, the key part here as far as identifying um, the players who are going to be worthwhile long-term investments because for every success story, like the, you know, yeah, we've heard about how Jadeja, Virat Kohli, uh, the Gil Shahs, Rishabh they all you know came through this under nineteen setup and where they were initially identified as this amazing talents, but they still had to do the hard work and domestic cricket, and you know that, that paid off because for every one of those stories, then you have some someone like a Unmuk Chan, right? I remember personally when I saw that World Cup, which did he didn't he score a century in the final? Yep. Um, he was touted as the next big thing. He got paid a lot of big bucks in the IPL. Um, but what happened now he's not in, 
you know, he's moved to the U.S. and is now, you know, playing franchise cricket, cricket here and there. Um, so it, the Under-19 World Cup by no means is a guarantee, right? Like just performing in the Under-19 World Cup by itself is no guarantee that your future is set and that you're going to be conquering the opposition for years to come. Um, you still have to do the hard yards. Um, so, you know, there are a number of players that uh, I remember watching the semifinal and the final and thinking, man, these guys, if they continue to perform like this, like Indian team is set. Um, but you're right. There's just a long road ahead for them and they cannot rest on their laurels. And um, as an Indian fan and as a cricket fan in general, um, it, it'll be it'll be very nice <laughs> if these players fulfill uh, the potential that they've showed. So speaking of that, um, what are the who are the top three talents that you enjoyed watching in this tournament? Uh, very impressed with Noor Ahmed from Afghanistan, the spinner who, you know, as I mentioned, modeled his action after Rashid Khan. Um, just, it, it, I think his accuracy could improve a little bit, but again, he's a wrist spinner. The wrist spinners do have tendency to spray once in a while. So he bowled a decent number of wides, but other than that, really, he was, he was very, he was spot on. Some people were having difficulties picking him as well, especially you know non-Asian batters. So uh, very good future, and and I believe he's already in the PSL as well. So I think there's already potential that he's you know going around the world and learning from the best of the best. Um, so bright future for him for sure. Um, from an Indian perspective, both the captain and vice captain were just outstanding. Uh, Yash Dhul and and Sheikh Rashid. Uh, Sheikh Rashid was one of the cases, as we were talking about, that, you know, identified at a really young age, um, then got into the uh, Andhra system where, you know, MSK Prasad-led uh, system created, which helps players from, you know, less privileged areas and, and supports them through their cricket development, sends them to countries to play, and, and Sheikh Rashid went to England. So that all like seems to have been a really good opportunity for him because he's got exposure from a young age and he just seems really calm, composed and, and technically very sound um, to, to be, you know, a solid domestic veteran, hopefully also in India, hopefully very, very soon. So very impressed from both of those perspective. Um, and I feel like every time the under 19 World Cup comes around, uh, comes around, we're like, where do we fit these under-19 batters? Because we've got so many of them. And I think I remember thinking, where are we going to fit Shubman Gill? And, and he's, you know, he's still struggling to find a permanent spot, but it's still early days. So uh, I'm sure he's going to do that at, at, in, in upcoming years. So really good to see that talent. I think the only other player that really stood out was Jackson Field, uh, the Australian spinner, who was right on Mafi, um, got lovely overspin and... It reminded a few people of Nathan Lyon himself, just the way his action was modeled and, and uh, uh, you know, just overspin that he was getting. Uh, could also bat a little bit at, at the at, in the lower order. So, yeah, definitely somebody to keep an eye on. I mean, speaking of Australian spinners, there was this under-19 spinner, probably the last World Cup, um, Lloyd Pope, I believe, is his name, yep. with his I think 2018. That was 2018. Yeah, with his long hair. And I believe he was a leg spinner. And people were talking about how he could potentially be the next Shane Warren. And I was like, I want to see where he is in two, three years. And I haven't heard anything about him since. Uh, but I hope that uh, he's still you know, doing the hard yards in domestic cricket. Because I remember watching him in that edition and thinking, man, it, he, he looks like a real good, solid cricketer. And... Australia could do with a you know a good reserve of spinners because right now it's Nathan Lyon or bust you know they're you know the Mitchell Swepsons and uh, Ashton Agars but uh, they don't have a really strong spin backup for Nathan Lyon so um, anyway I, um, I think to that point we need to take the success of these cricketers at under 19 level with a pinch of salt and I know we've said this already a couple of times that there's a long way to go. But mm -hmm. remember, Virat Kohli took the wicket of Kane Williamson as an under-19 player so in, in the World Cup. And, <laughs> and Steve yeah. Smith came around as this leg spinner who could bat a little bit. So, right. so I think they're still early days. But, but to your point, yeah, Lloyd Pope yeah. continues to play the BBL. And 
he's also playing first class cricket so i think he's, he's still definitely around and uh, maybe he will come back as a world class batsman <laughs> <laughs> like I, right now he averages like 5 in in first class cricket okay. so i think that's going to be a little bit of an extreme turn turnaround like, yeah that's just a little behind steve smith i guess um well i haven't really you know like i said earlier i didn't watch every single game of the under 19 world cup um, I don't follow too many of the games, but off the few that I did follow, and this player has been talked about, he is—he turned out to be the player of the tournament. And just hours ago, um, he was bought by the Mumbai Indians. So South African batsman Dewal Brevis. Um, I remember the first time I kind of heard about him was like on social media where people were talking about how he's going to be the next A.B. de Villiers. And I was like, well, that's... Uh, tall claim so let me check him out sure enough he like more than his scores it's just his batting style that was thrilling to watch and i was just thinking man if he can replicate this at uh the international level like senior level um he's going to be like a class act he's going to be like an amazing um player for south africa and as a csk fan i am disappointed that he didn't land up uh in chennai because CSK did make a bid for him, but uh, he obviously went over to Mumbai Indians. So as uh, sad as I have that he's going to Mumbai Indians, um, I think he's got a good franchise with them because uh, MI does a good job of developing players in their ranks and setting them up for success. So uh, I think the big winner in all of this is DeWald Brevis at the end of the day. Uh, but speaking about other talents, now obviously I followed more India games than any other games. And um, I'm actually going to pick three from the Indian uh, side themselves. And you kind of mentioned their names earlier. Uh, Vicky Oswald, like uh, I remember watching him bowl. And he seemed very much like a Ravindra uh, Jadeja type of bowler. Very, very miserly. And he just looked so threatening most of the time that, you know, the opposition batters just couldn't seem to get away from him. And so that was... Nice to see that that tradition of Indian left-arm spinners will continue <laughs> to the foreseeable future. Um, but I think the most exciting pair for me was the bowlers. Uh, because, yes, this is this seems to be like the golden age uh, for Indian fast bowlers. Um, but you still need to keep that going. You still need to find reserves. You still need to find backups. And right now, it, it seems like, you know, there are so many... There's so much competition for, you know, the Indian fast bowling slots, so to speak. Uh, and it's good to see two more additions. And again, we have to wait and see how they perform in domestic cricket and beyond. Um, but the combination of Rajwardhan, Hunger Gaker and Ravi Kumar, right? Very, I almost feel like dissimilar bowlers, uh, you know, especially Hunger Gaker. I remember the first sight of him, he's just tall well-built and get some good bounds some good yorkers in and i was thinking it's a very un-indian bowler we don't really have too many of those well-built strapping you know bowlers who can aim for the head and the toes effectively so i really hope um indian cricket invest in him well and develop because we don't have too many of those kind of bowlers and ravi kumar is more slightly built i guess you could say but he's got some um, you know, he's a very good swing bowler. And for me, um, I was thinking about this conversation a few days ago where we're talking about, you know, the, India has a good crop of fast bowlers now, but not too many good left arm fast bowlers, at least not too many who compete um, for the slots at the international uh, senior level. So if he can develop uh, well, I think India will have a very good, you know, especially for variety's sake, um, we, we may have unearthed the next big left-arm uh, fast bowler. So I'm really excited about uh, Hunger Gekker and Ravi Kumar, as, as well as Vicky Oswald. Uh, all of them are going to have good competition, though. None of them can kind of walk into the Indian team in the near future just because of the level of competition. Uh, and Deval Brevis, for sure, for South Africa, he's just going to be an amazing talent, and I hope um, he gets an opportunity to show his T20 skills. Uh, in the IPL. Yeah, and I, I also hope they remain injury-free because we've seen some very, very good talents uh, over the years who've you know not had as much impact as uh, after 
you know, a, a smack, uh, just amazing World Cup uh, at the under 19 level. Uh, from 2000, Ritinder Singh Sodi is a prime example, who was oh, the man, man of the match uh, in the final and, you know, did not have a long career and then injuries and, and all of that. Um, just unfortunately, you know, uh, sh- shorted what could have been a very p- promising career. And Kamlesh Nagar Koti comes uh, uh, as the second example that comes to mind, you know, from the 2018 batch. Another, not just a good bowler, but just a really, really good athlete because he was just amazing in the field, always diving around, could swing the bat. And I know he's part of the IPL as well. So he's, he's taken part in IPL with limited chances, but he's been injured a long time. And he was, he was in one of his interviews, he was talking about how he and Ridhiman Saha are always at the NCA nursing some injury and they become friends. Yeah. So hoping that that doesn't happen with any of these uh, talented kids. Yeah, speaking of Ritender Singh, so the it was like a blast from the past when I saw a tweet of his after India won. Um, I think it was Bawa he was referring to Raj Bawa. Was it like his... They, they had some kind of connection, whether it was a common coach or something like that. Yeah, it, I think Raj Bawa's father um, was the coach of both Ritender Singh Sodi and Yuvrat Singh. So... That's how wow. that's how Raj Baba models himself after Yuvraj Singh and and, yeah. and so on and and yeah. Also that that 2002 World Cup triumph when um, Ritinder Singh Sodhi um, won that World Cup too for India. That was like in the early stages of my fandom, my Indian cricket fandom, and I remember thinking, "Oh man, Ritinder Singh Sodhi is going to be like the all rounder that India has been looking for." And much like majority of the under 19 players, uh, was not able to breakthrough and make a you know successful career out of it but uh, i think that's just a good reminder for any under 19 players who've had good tournaments and who may think that said now their you know their career is set their life is set it's almost like a, another reminder we've, 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 that's been the theme of this episode i feel where success on the under 19 world cup is no, by no means a guarantee for success at the senior most level and you will do well to heed the examples of players who, for all their talent and success, um, were not able to translate that to a consistent level um, and really make a career out of it. Um, but even as you uh, as you wind up this episode, what does this say about the lack of a women's under nineteen World Cup? Because obviously, women's cricket has been. Um, I feel like it's undergone a dramatic transformation in terms of how much attention is being paid to it. Um, gone are the days when, you know, just the fact that women women's cricket would take place and, you know, even if the teams lost, you'd be like, oh, you know, they, they you, you would find it very hard to criticize them. But I think we've got to a stage where women's cricket is being treated with respect to the point where you criticize them or you're able to critique them without it coming off as condescending. So I think it's time for women's under 19 World Cup too. Um, and I know that there's logistical issues too, because ultimately at the end of the day, you need eyeballs, you need people to actually follow it and all those kind of things are involved. Uh, but what are some of your thoughts on it? Like how can we make that work? So it's an interesting one. You mentioned we need eyeballs and, and you know, uh, enough, I guess, marketing and then sales for a World Cup to work. I don't think that's the problem at under-19 level, though, because I don't think these the men's under-19 World Cup, for example, yeah, there's they definitely have a few sponsors, but it's not a major, you know, revenue-generating tournament for the ICC. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is like there's lesser to lose because organizing this in the first place does not take that much, and if it's you know not as much of a success, even then they don't necessarily lose that much. So in my mind, having a women's under-19 World Cup should be a no-brainer. Um, and if you remember, we talked to W.V. Raman, who was at that point of the women's coach of, uh, of the Indian team, and he mentioned he would like to have not just a women's IPL, but an under-19 World Cup as well. So I, I think it's definitely on the minds of coaches and people who've worked with women's cricket. How we make it work is going to, going to be interesting because I don't think it's a secret that the talent pool in women's cricket around the world is just much smaller. So by that, what I mean is, you know, like the U.S., for example, we've had Peter Delapena say that for all women's cricket, 
in the US and uh, there's probably 200, 250 cricketers as compared to 20,000 plus male cricketers, even if they are just, you know, club level. So what that tells me is there's probably not going to be 16 teams that show up, which, you know, in men's cricket can easily happen as we saw Uganda and, and Canada and all these countries have teams. But at the same point, we could probably um, have, you know, a smaller set of teams in a T20 format because that might just be the way to start. So maybe it's a T20 and a 19 World Cup. Um, and, you know, if that's also a bit of a stretch, then at least we need to have more Asia Cups because we've seen Asia and 19 cup t- tournaments for uh, the male cricketers. But uh, from, you know, Hong Kong and Thailand and, and some of these other countries, they seem to be producing a decent number of women's talent. Um, so having an under 19 World Cup might just help push a few players because if, if you've represented your country, even at the under 19 level, I'm sure that's a good motivator to say, let's stay in the game as compared to, you know, not seeing any rewards until you make the senior side. Um, so I think there's probably, it's going to be a mix of um, finding the right balance of number of countries and making, a, uh, making it a T20 tournament. That's probably going to help put that on the, on the ICC roadmap. Right. And I strongly believe that T20 format is the way to go for teams that you know struggle for sponsors struggle for you know eyeballs struggle just to get you know get into the spotlight i think t20 is a great way and just beyond this to just beyond under 19 world cup if you are trying to expand your footprint into any market where cricket is not huge um it is just an easier way to get into like you said it's just um you know for one it's so much shorter and it also kind of brings the teams closer in terms of closer contests right because with uh like the the one day form like the the longer format the 50 over it's easier for teams to kind of like especially the stronger team if they get on a good if they get on a roll it's hard to stop them the game is over uh but with t20 it kind of narrows that down and makes for good exciting contests so for something like uh, if we wanted women's under 19 uh, to take off, I think that would be a good way to start. And l- listen, it, I think it's a good time for cricket because uh, I remember when I started following the game more than 20 years ago, it was men's senior team. That was cricket. Um, there were the occasional A tours that from time to time would be reported on. But I never knew that women played cricket. Uh, that's astounding because women have been playing playing cricket for decades in fact they had the first ever woke up even before the men did um so the fact that it was so underreported and you know nobody paid attention to it that's how it was and now we've come ahead to where women's cricket is not just followed but you know it's reported and analysis is being done um to an extent where it's on par with men's cricket and that's a huge that's a huge progress right and similarly you know with the growth of T20 and all these franchise cricket tournaments. And now with the under 19, there is just so much of cricket, you know, like I said earlier, um, there is just no time to follow every single thing because there's just way too much cricket content (laughs) to be consumed. Uh, And I think, you know, in this landscape, women's under 19 tournaments, such as women's under 19 World Cup can be fit in as well. Um, with a little bit of effort by enterprising individuals at the highest level, I think it can definitely happen. And as the um, under-19 World Cup, the recent under-19 World Cup showed, um, it can throw up some really exciting talent and uh, you can identify some players who could turn out to be real superstars in the future. So I think it's time that, you know, someone got to work on it. Uh, so with that, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll wrap up this episode. I, for one, um, was very happy that uh, the Indian under-19 team won the World Cup yet again. Um, as long as India's winning some World Cup in cricket, I'll take it <laughs> till uh, the under uh, the senior team, uh, as well as the women, you know, win uh, a World Cup in their own right. Uh, but apart from that, too, just like the, you know, the, the talents that we discussed, you know, from... Uh, the other teams uh it, it just gives me hope that in the future that you know we'll continue to have a good crop of players um and in, in international cricket and 
my only hope is that uh, each individual board um, that they don't drop the ball in terms of developing these players and making sure that they continue to develop into well-rounded cricketers. So that'll be my hope for them. Uh, no, I think the only other comment that comes to mind for women's cricket is, um, yeah, there's probably some administrative challenges and things like that, which we, which boards need to think about. But that will be just the start. I think the reason we have a very good under-19 World Cup worth watching for, you know, the boys is, is because there's really good structures. And, and if we look at India as an example, uh, and they've become this giant in under-19 cricket. But the reason for that is, since 2015 and onwards, they've obviously they're doing a good job with what we talked about, which is identification of talent. But since 2015 or so, they have all these regional tournaments where they have under 19 challengers trophy every year, um, where there's, you know, depending on the year, there's been three to six teams participating with uh, players from around the world, uh, oh, sorry, around the country. And, and then also even any decent uh, game, any youth tournaments that are organized always have one of the under-19 selectors available at the stadium. Um, so there's always somebody watching and, and trying to identify talents. So those are the structures that have been in place from you know a, a very early standpoint. Like, for example, the 2018 World Cup, when India won, the South Zone selector for under-19 was Venkatesh Prasad. And Dravid and Venkatesh Prasad were constantly talking. So that just goes to show that it will still take a while to develop it into a very solid, you know, system where we consistently see good talent and a very competitive uh, standard of cricket. Um, but to start it, it, it's not that much energy. It's not that much potential, which for, you know, losses, if that's the problem that ICC is looking at. Um, so, yeah, I think that there definitely should be a start for under-19 women's cricket. Well, with that, we'll wrap it up. And that's it for this episode of The Last Wicket. So once again, uh, do check out our nomination at sportspodcastawards.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do let a friend know, rate and subscribe on your platform of choice. Follow us on your social media feeds and leave us a voice message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. Thank you again for listening. And from all of us here at The Last Wicket, stay safe, stay healthy.